Blog Talk Radio. everyone and welcome to the Pet Place Radio Show. I'm Marie Hewitt and I'm so glad you're starting out your Sunday morning with us. Have you ever noticed unusual birds in your backyard and wanted to take a picture of them but by the time you got your camera and came back to your yard, the birds were long gone? Well, Stephen Chris, author and co-author of numerous national birding books including the Audubon Society Guide to Attracting Birds and the Audubon Backyard Bird Watch. We'll be stopping by in just a bit to talk about a special motion-activated camera that you can set up in your backyard so that you'll never miss these shots again. Then later, Marianne Dell will be back again with her wonderful children's book reviews. So even though we need to take a very fast break, we'll be back in a flash here on the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260 and 540. Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260 and 540. I'm Marie Hewitt. And I'd like to welcome to the show Stephen Kress, who has written a number of wonderful books and guides about birds. Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, good morning to you, Marie. Now, uh, you have a pretty cool product I've heard about, the Windscapes Bird Cam. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, this is a really exciting thing for birders and, and anybody that's really interested in wildlife because what it permits people to do is is to learn about what's in their backyard without them even being there. Here's how it works. You set this camera up. It's a weather-tight camera that can withstand any kind of extreme weather. And you set it up on a tripod, um, on a special support that's provided with it, and you it, ha- sends out a, it sends out a, you focus it on like a bird feeder or a bird bath or some place where birds are likely to, to visit. And when the motion from the bird breaks the infrared beam, it automatically takes a picture. Wow. Yeah, and and so you can set it up like in the morning, you can go off to work and come back at the end of the day, and, and you can just take this little uh, ST uh, card out of the camera, put it in your computer, and there is this whole uh, collection of photographs, actually very high-quality photographs. That I was wondering about that, if it yeah. was going to be high-quality, high-resolution or not, or if it was going to be more like um, what you see when somebody's breaking into a convenience store. <laughs> no, it's actually about 3-point uh, megapixels uh, per picture. So. Wow. Yeah. So when you have uh, these guys that are visiting your backyard, this has happened to me so many times, I'll see just the most amazing bird, and it'll be at the bird bath, and I'll run and grab my camera as fast as I can. I'll get back to try and take a picture, and it'll already be gone. <laughs> well, exactly. So here you could take the picture, and then you'd have all the time you need to look it up in a, in a field guide and figure out what was what Or was really email bad. you and find or, out. Or, yeah, you send it right here. <laughs> Right, to the Laboratory of Ornithology in Cornell, that's where I am. Oh, wow. Yeah, and and we, you know, we're, of course, very keen about birds. and and, uh, But, you know, you can also just email it around to people. And one nice thing about this camera is it also takes video uh, clips as well. Oh, that's so And so you just set it on the video setting, and Uh then you get these little video clips. um, And that's motion-activated also. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Or, or you can do both. It, there's a setting on it. You can do alternates. You, you take a uh, 
a picture, and then it clicks to video, so you can do both. Now, what would you recommend putting in your backyard to attract birds? Well, there's several things that people can do for for improving the yard for birds. Of course, a bird feeder is the, is the first thing that comes to mind, and, and that's a fun thing to do, but it doesn't attract uh, very many species compared to putting up uh, planting things for birds, like shrubs and trees. Okay. And the, and the thing to keep in mind about bird feeders is that is that you have to keep filling them up and cleaning them and maintaining them. Okay. So I generally encourage people to think about creating bird habitat in their yards. And, and, and how would you go about doing that? I mean, what what is a bird most likely to be attracted to? Well, of course, different birds are attracted to different things. Uh, but all birds need uh, food, water, shelter, uh, nesting places, and uh, and most of them need a, a perch to sing from. Okay. And if any of those uh, elements are missing from a backyard, then you're not going to have very many birds there. Okay. So if you think about a new uh, development where typically all the natural habitat is removed, the houses are built, and then the house is surrounded by lawn, you basically have a desert as far as the bird is concerned because you're not thinking about any of the needs that they have. Mm-hmm. So if we want to share our land with birds, we have to think about their homes and what they require. And there, there are some simple things you can do. Uh, first of all, I encourage people to uh, only mow the, the grass close around their house, to think of ways to reduce the amount of lawn they have because lawn is not a very uh, attractive habitat. For birds, a few birds will use it, but even the robins that, for example, the dew you see on lawns, they also need trees to nest in, and they need shelter during extreme weather. Okay. So I suggest reducing the amount of lawn, letting some of the lawn grow up to higher vegetation around the edges of the of the property. A general that wouldn't go over really uh, well here in Orange County, where everybody has a homeowners association and says, "Mow your lawn." Well, I think we need to think about not making it look like a neglected property. Right, right. Uh-huh. Because as long as you have like a plan for your property and you're mowing part of it, mm-hmm. uh, then it looks like you still live there. Okay. And so being aware of what's acceptable in the neighborhood, of course, is important. But part mm-hmm. of that is trying to think out of the box a little bit and, and trying to think about other uses for for land other than, you know, just close-cropped lawn. Sure, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Planting native trees and shrubs that that are attractive to birds is is really probably the best thing you can do for birds. We have um, quite a lot of trees in my backyard, and we have so many birds that come, and it's just such a wonderful thing to watch. And I I was wondering, too, about birdhouses. Do birds actually use birdhouses? Yes, birds do use birdhouses. They... um, but not all species. Okay. A birdhouse is basically a tree cavity. Mm-hmm. And many properties, because big trees are missing or dead trees have been removed, there are no hollow trees for birds to nest in. So a birdhouse can, can serve that need. Uh, birdhouses um, should be maintained. They should be cleaned uh, once a year. They should be um, you know, set up in the right habitat so that you know, you're likely to really get the birds that you want. Uh, the size of an entrance hole needs to be uh, it's, it's very specific to different species of birds as well. So 
birdhouses do help birds. For example, um, chickadees and titmice and house wrens are a few of the birds that like to use uh, birdhouses. Okay. Is there a guide possibly that um, that perhaps you've written that would show people um, what kinds of birdhouses to make or what kinds of plants, uh, depending on where they well, live? Well, there is. Uh, yes. Of the books that I've written, uh, I think the most useful one is my newest book. It's called The Audubon Guide to Attracting Birds. Okay. And as the name suggests, it's, it looks at all of the things you can do to attract birds. It, it does talk about supplemental feeders if you're going to use them there are safe things to keep in mind how to use them okay. but it also region by region recommends native trees and shrubs that will work in different parts of the country okay on the pacific coast for example there's a whole uh, regional discussion of, based on the zones on the west coast what you can plant in southern california or or northern california or where is your book up, available up the coast what will actually grow there and these native plants are adapted to the weather mm-hmm. and to the and to the timing of nesting and and uh, of birds. So they're they're the best choices. Stephen, where is your book available so that somebody could run out and grab one if they wanted to? Okay, at the Audubon uh, Guide to Attracting Birds. You could get it in any bookstore. Uh, you can get it over the internet from say Amazon. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wonderful! And let me also ask you, uh, backtracking a little bit. If uh, somebody wanted to get one of the special Linscape bird cams, um, where could they find that? Well, they should go to the uh, Wingscape um, website, wingscape.com, and then they'll they'll see examples of the photographs taken, including some that I've taken with it. Okay. Uh, I work with puffins on the main coast, and I know that uh, they'll see some of my photographs of puffins. Wow. Working with Project Puffin. This is great. It's all, it sounds like a great Christmas present too. It is. Anybody's it's looking for $250 for the camera, and it's, uh-huh. it's a really uh, for you know for what it does, taking the videos, taking the stills. It's a wonderful, wonderful item. Yeah, a lot better than getting a shaver or something like that. <laughs> really, exactly. A lot more fun. Stephen, this is all wonderful information. Um, I'm so glad that uh, you're able to talk with us about it today, and thank you so much for stopping by the Pet Place. We need to take a very quick station break right now, though, but don't go away. We'll be back again in just a moment on the Pet Place Radio Show here on KGIL AM 1260 and 540. Welcome back to the Pet Place Radio Show. It's time for my favorite segment of the show, Book Reviews with Marianne Dill. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Marie. So I see you have some uh, new books to share with us. Of course. And perfect timing because I know people are starting uh, their holiday shopping, and these look like some great, great things to add to holiday lists. Oh, there's some wonderful ones here. So let's oh. get started with your first review. Okay. Well, this one's certainly timely. It's not brand new, but it was released, re-released because of the election. It's called Wackiest White House Pets. Oh, okay. It's by Gibbs Davis, illustrated by David A. Johnson, with some really amusing illustrations. The publisher's Scholastic Press. <clears throat> excuse me, Scholastic Press. It's sixteen ninety-five for ages eight and up. We have some fairly good-sized words in this one. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, but this is really fun because 
as Gibbs calls them, it's all about the wackiest pets that have ever been in the White House. And with Barack Obama and his family looking to adopt a dog, you know, they're going to join the ranks of those presidents who've had the most popular White House pet, which is, of course, our friend the canine, mm-hmm. followed closely by the cats. But uh, did you know that uh, Thomas Jefferson had two grizzly bear cubs no <laughs> at way. the White House? Yes, what? he did. Where did he keep them? <laughs> they were outside. They had an area outside for themselves. And, uh, you know, it was a little frowned on by some, but Jefferson was a real animal person. And, um, you know, as Gibbs says in the book, he wasn't just a Democrat as far as the country went. He was very much a Democrat for the animals, too. So despite the fact that uh, people called the White House grounds the president's bear garden, (laughs) (laughs) he believed that animals should be treated kindly and that they had rights just like we do. Wow, that is so interesting. I wonder who had the responsibility of uh, feeding and cleaning up after the bears. I wonder. <laughs> the book doesn't say. Wow, <laughs> I have to look into that. I've never heard that before. That's really interesting. What yeah. are some of the more uh, more unusual other pets that were in the um, Well, let's see. Quincy Adams had a an alligator. Oh, boy. <laughs> This one actually came to the White House with the Marquis de Lafayette in 1826. Uh, Lafayette was a French war hero, the first celebrity to visit the White House. Uh-huh. And, um, and he just happened to bring an alligator. Yes, he did. You know, <laughs> there were a lot of... Uh, a lot of unusual animals that got sent to the White House, given as gifts and stuff like that. A lot of them wound up at the National Zoo or I in other places. I was wondering about that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And some of them stayed at the White House. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> yes, uh, James Buchanan had an elephant. No way. He was presented with a herd of them by wow. the King of Siam. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And, and those, I'm assuming, probably ended up at the zoo. They did, indeed. There okay. really isn't a place to keep an elephant, although it's a big house. The White yeah. House isn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's that's quite something. So this, this is a really interesting-sounding book. I bet there's lots of uh, fun stories in it, too, that tell about some of the antics of these animals. There are. And the really cool thing, at the back of the book, there's a chapter that lists every president's pets. Oh, okay. And the animals. So it's really fun. You know, this would make, uh, if someone had a project due for President's Day in February, that would make a cool report. Absolutely, because I don't think I've ever heard a school kid talk about the animals of presidents. So if they want to be uh, unique in their presidential reports, this would be the way to go. That's right, and it's nice to hear with our president-elect that we are talking about getting a pet and adopting one for the family. So it's kind of on everybody's consciousness, too. Okay, well, that sounds like a wonderful book, and now let's go on to your next title. Okay, this is called Sidecar Scooter. Okay by Bruce Caldwell with illustrations by Charlie Haywood. Mm-hmm. Publisher is Bluegate Books. It's nine ninety five, and it's for ages 8 to 12. Okay, so this it's is another uh, more difficult reading book. Little, yeah, a little bit, and, it, you know, it's one, it's kind of a fun story, but um, parents might have to read it to the younger kids. Okay. But it's a great story. It's about a shelter dog who is deaf. 
And because he's deaf, he doesn't hear the people coming to see, and he doesn't hear the cacophony of the other dogs barking, so he doesn't react like the other dogs. He just sits in his cage, and he gets overlooked until a couple named Bob and Debbie Peterson see him, and they, have, they already have a menagerie of dogs. Okay. And they see this dog and decide that they have to give him a home. <laughs> and so they do. And Bob and Debbie are a real interesting couple. They live up in Northern California somewhere. Um, I think I mentioned this is a true story. Oh, I was going to ask you yeah, that. Yeah. It, it is. Okay. And um, they own an ice cream parlor mm-hmm. called Lazy Dog Ice Cream. And when this story is told, they were just getting the parlor together and getting ready to open it. They make their own ice cream, and they're also big motorcycle enthusiasts. Oh, well, that's perfect for a deaf dog. Yes. And in fact, they decide to name him Scooter because they already have a Harley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they also have scooters, and they're looking at a Vespa scooter that they own, and they decide that they'll name this new dog Harley because, they, or excuse me, Scooter, because they don't really like Vespa as a dog's name. Uh-huh. And one of their motorcycles has a sidecar on it. And it just so happens that Scooter fits perfectly in the sidecar. And so his name kind of morphs to become Sidecar Scooter. Ah, uh, so he goes around riding around town in the sidecar then, I bet. Yes, he does. Wow. And um, with the copy of the book that I got, I don't know if this comes with every one, but I bet it's on the website, sidecarscooter.com. There's a picture of Scooter in his sidecar. And let me tell you, this thing's tricked out. <laughs> It's got a luggage rack on the back. It's got a top on it like a golf cart with uh-huh. a windshield in front and a metal bone shape on the back. Aww. It's all padded. Mm-hmm. And Scooter wears a scarf and a hat and a big set of goggles. So he's well protected wow. in that sidecar, much more so than all those dogs you see with their heads just hanging out the windows. Yeah. Now, is he also, does he have some kind of a safety harness, too? That I can't tell. Okay. We certainly hope because all dogs, you know, in fact, there's a movement going on now. Um, there's a group, and they're going to have a media day tomorrow at the Orange County Sheriff's uh, training station to talk about the importance of confining dogs in cars, either with a seatbelt and a harness or putting them in a crate, because there's so many reasons why, both for the safety of the pet and for the other occupants of the car, you don't want your dog hanging out a window or running around loose in a car. No. Or no. any pet, for that matter. When I worked in an animal uh, clinic, we used to see so many animals, dogs, actually come in with eye injuries and face injuries because they were hanging their faces out of a car and would get hit with a rock or some other sharp object, and it could be really dangerous. Yes, it certainly can. And if a lot of the dog's hanging out of the car window, they can also jump out if they see something. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I know of cases where that's happened and the dogs have been seriously injured or even killed by mm-hmm. doing that. Mm-hmm. And you never know. They could be perfectly well-behaved for years and years and years, and there's always going to be that one thing that gets them to go. You betcha. So So it's really something that owners need to be aware of. Very good. Well, thank you for bringing that to our attention. I'm going to move you right along to story number three. Well, this is just terrific. This is called Good Dog. Kids Teach Kids About Dog Behavior and Training. Oh, wow. By Evelyn Pang and Hilary Lewis. Mm -hmm. It's published by Dogwise. Okay. Twelve ninety five, and it's really, I recommend this book for everybody. I would say readers should probably be 
Again, around eight years old and older. Okay. Um, advanced readers who are younger could probably read it, but I think it's a book that this is another one of those that any family that's thinking about getting a dog or any child who wants a dog should have, mm-hmm. and anybody should have. It's even good for adults who don't know anything about dogs and want to learn. It's not written in childish language. It's written very straightforward, and it talks about how to recognize what a dog means by its body language, different dog behaviors, how you can be safe around dogs, mm-hmm. and how to train your dog using oh, a clicker. Oh, wow. And the inspiration for this, the two girls who wrote it, Evelyn and Hillary, are middle school students in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And there was a program that was held in their um, apartment complex where some people brought in shelter dogs and the children learned to train the shelter dogs using clickers and learned about dog body language, dog behavior, and training using clickers and shaping. Mm -hmm. And these girls thought it would be a really good idea to educate others because when they started this program, as they say in the book, they were pretty much afraid of dogs. They did not know what dogs were about. They Mm -hmm. didn't know how to understand them. Okay. And after going through this program, they are much more confident that if they see a strange dog, they know how to behave around it, they know how to avoid getting hurt, and how to tell whether the dog is friendly. And they've passed that information on in the book. Absolutely. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Yay. And DogWise publishes some really neat things. They sure do. They really do. This is one of the ones they put out this year. Well, thank you. And you have one more title called Oodles of Animals. This is just a fun one. This is by Lois Ellert. $17, age about 5 to 8, but it's also one that parents could read to very young children and teach them several things. The illustrations, which are really the big, big attraction of this one, are paper cutouts that Mm -hmm. Ellert does, and she uses regular scissors and um, the scissors that you can cut different shapes with so they leave a pattern on the edge. Craft scissors. Craft okay. scissors, yeah. Uh-huh. And she uses basic shapes like triangles and squares and circles and hearts to create different kinds of bugs and mammals and reptiles and birds and uses all kinds of bright colors so they're really fun. There's a, a lion with a blue mane, something you'd probably never see in real <laughs> life a green hedgehog, an orange pig. But also with each animal, there's a little rhyme about it. Oh, okay. So a dog's a true friend from damp nose to tail's end is what the dog one says. Oh, so it sounds like a great little book where you can even get some ideas to do some crafts yourself, uh, parents and children together. Absolutely, they could do that. There's a lot of colors in this book, so Mm -hmm. it's a way to teach colors to young children. It's a way to teach shapes because Mm -hmm. you can look at each of these and see the different shapes that make up the animals. And kids love animals, so Uh this is a great way to teach. And a little way to learn about the animals, too. Yay. Well, Marianne, as always, you bring some great titles to the show to talk about. And like I said, with the holidays right around the corner, I think these are going to make wonderful gifts for the little ones on everyone's shopping list. I agree. Thanks for the great reviews. We need to take one last break, but we'll be right back here on the Pet Place Radio Show on AM 1260 and 540. Don't go away. We're back on the 
Pet Place Radio Show. I'd like to tell you about a Pet Place event coming up on Sunday, November 30th. The Pet Place crew will be at a book reading event featuring Jack Eden at Flavio's Italian Kitchen, which is located at 14425 Newport Avenue in Tustin. And since Pet Place executive producer Gary Lichen is also the radio columnist for the Orange County Register, he'll be there to meet and greet and talk about pets and radio and, well, anything on your mind. Come hungry, stay all afternoon. It's from 1230 to 5 p.m. The Bunny Bunch has asked me to pass on information about their 2009 Bunny Bunch calendar. Proceeds from the sales help the Bunny Bunch care for foster bunnies at the borough and in foster homes. This includes spaying and neutering and medical costs as well as room and board. By purchasing this calendar, you'll help them be able to continue the wonderful rescue work they do for rabbits. Each of the rabbits in this calendar have their own rescue story, all with happy endings, of course. So go to BennyBunch.org to order online or call to see which adoption locations have some available. That's all for me today. Remember, pets need love and a home, too, and I'd like to remind everybody with this holiday season, this might be a good time to bring a pet into your home. There are so many at rescues and shelters, and they really need to have families that will give them a forever home. So think about that and make some space if you can, and... Be sure and spay and neuter, too, because there are already too many animals in shelters. We'll be back next weekend here on AM 1260 and 540. I'm Marie Hewlett. Have a wonderful day.